The Bulls have three seconds to try a shot and try to win the game. This is the Notebook Wagering Podcast. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Coming to you from the betting deck. Don't believe what I just saw. Here are your hosts. Hey, Q here, Notebook Wagering. Missed a couple shows. Glad to be back. Sitting across from Smitty and Jay Cam. What's going on, fellas? Not much. Just uh, finally college football is over. We have our final four. Cincinnati got there, much to Smitty's dismay. Because we can talk a little bit of Cincinnati tonight since we're talking with a uh, play-by-play guy from one of their opponents who actually gave him a pretty good game this year. Um, and um, just looking at the bowl matchups, trying to get ahead of that and then get dive into college basketball since we're transitioning seasons here. Yeah, it's great to be back. I'm very excited for our guest tonight. Uh, big fan of his and can't wait to hear about the big game on Saturday. Uh, college basketball, diving into it. I gave out a ton of plays tonight. I felt good about the card and I went hard after it. Some tough games last night, man. Toledo, you talk about Colgate on Friday night. Now, they Toledo didn't blow a 20-point lead, but they blew about a 12-point lead that cost me a little bit last night. But 3-3 uh, three and three night, gave out some plays tonight. Um, Excited for the card. We'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, good to have you back, Hugh. Yeah, like I said, great to be back. And uh, let's just get right into this. So we, we have a guest. We try to bring a guest on uh, pretty often, if not every show, uh, just, you know, to expand the knowledge. So uh, he's got a show from 3 to 7 on the Team 980. He's also uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the voice of Navy Athletics. we got Pete Medhurst. What's going on, Pete? Guys, good to be with you. Glad to bring you back one. I know we talked last time. We talked a little Redskins. Uh, I be- what game did we talk? I can't. We talked a Navy game. Um, I believe it was the SMU game. Uh, so, you know, we got another huge game that we're going to be bringing it up to you. But uh, as J.K.M. mentioned, let's uh, real quick. What's your thoughts on Cincinnati uh, being the fourth seed for the college football playoff? I know, you know, you've obviously done the voice uh, when Navy played them. So what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, we talk about them a lot. Uh, Joe Miller and I do on our It's College Football podcast. I mean, it's – look, here, here – Cincinnati has earned the opportunity. They went out and scheduled out of conference at Indiana, at Notre Dame. Big Ten team, of course, you know, the conglomerate that is Notre Dame. They won both games handily. In fact, Navy played them their closest game all year, one possession game in Annapolis. It's a good team. When it executes on all cylinders, and that means Jerome Ford in the running game, and people need to remember Jerome Ford was at Alabama. I mean, he's an Alabama transfer. This is a guy that was power five football player. The problem is we, we have this perception. There's been a great war on Twitter going back and forth the last couple of days. Kirk Herbstreet, um, Nicole Auerbach, Tim Brando, uh, Mike DeCourcy wrote about it today in the Sporting News. Because we perceive Because of their label, their, quote, G5, that's why they're desperate to get to the Big 12, okay? Because that label of G5, automatically we assume they can't be as good as Alabama. They can't be as good as a two-loss Ohio State. Now, when you watch Ohio State at full throttle, I'm not sure Cincinnati is better than Ohio State. But based on this committee, the criteria they're using, the fact that we can only pick four teams, 
at some point there has to be a reward for winning all your football games. And I understand the perception that's out there that the G five uh, fights, but I'm glad the committee, the committee could have easily backed up and convinced a lot of people that a two loss Ohio state team was still better than Notre Dame and Cincinnati, um, you know, who Ohio state was behind in the eventual uh, end ratings. But, you know, going to Notre Dame and winning has to mean something. And the only other team that that has a better win is Alabama, who beat number one Georgia, um, you know, at the time. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, they, they earned the opportunity based on the criteria that's there. It's why we need to expand this thing. Mark Emmert today talked about, you know, well, I, I don't see how you can have, you know, uh, 15 or 16 seeds. Well, Mark, your FCS teams do that. You know, they have like 24 teams that play in that thing. So what are you yep. talking about? It's okay for FCS two and three to have an expanded playoff, but we can't do that with the Division One guys. So ultimately, you know, he's kind of talking at the side of his neck, as the song uh, used to be. So uh, based on the criteria that we have, they, they earned it. In, you know, winning in Indiana and Notre Dame has to count for something because, let's face it, you know, they're not going to get a lot of great out-of-conference games on their schedules because nobody's going to want to play them. So it's just like Virginia going to James Madison last night. I know Virginia lost, but give Tony Bennett credit for taking a game. He doesn't have to take that game on the road to James Madison, but he took the game and his team ended up losing last night. It's the same thing with Notre Dame. They took the game with Cincinnati uh, and they ended up losing the game. So that's why Notre Dame was five and Cincinnati was four. Head to head has to mean something. Absolutely. We've seen, obviously, these teams win, you know, Michigan win, the famous Appy State win, uh, you know, and I always reverted back to kind of coming into the final week. They played who they scheduled and there's nothing that they can, can do to control that. So they like you said, they went out and they won over the games. So they've got to be rewarded. Um, so obviously, we know John Metchie's going to be out, which is huge for Cincinnati. I mean, he's just an electric weapon. I mean, he's a first round pick uh, to, to not have to worry about him is, is just a sigh of relief. I would imagine uh, for Cincinnati's defense. So the line right now is Alabama minus 14. Do you think they match up well enough to stay within that number? They do if they can run the ball. Um, and, and Ford's got to be able to run. And when opportunities present, Ritter has to run. And he's been reluctant at times to do that. You see a lot of games. The Navy game, very, very weirdly a couple times, he's scrambling out and instead of, I mean, he just goes down right where he's at. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't looking to stretch it out to the sideline or anything. He was just, boom, going down. He's done that. He's I call it preservation mode. So he's been in preservation mode a couple times. Now, will he sell out playing against Alabama? You know, that, that remains to be seen. Jerome Ford, though, if they can play some ball control with him and move the chain some, be reasonably effective on third down, they have a chance to stay within the number, I think. I mean, they're – Look, Gardner's as good a corner as there is in the country. So without Mechie, you know, I don't know if he will travel significantly with Jamison Williams wherever he goes. But I'm telling you, if Luke Fickle sees Williams, you know, make a play early in the game, then Gardner's not covering him. He may consider doing that, playing for his playoff life in a situation like that. So you're going to have two first-round picks going mano a mano out there on the perimeter and you've got a quarterback in Bryce Young who has showed us over his last five quarters of football that he's capable of doing amazing things out there. What he did in the fourth quarter at Auburn and then in the game last week against Georgia, against that level of competition, simply stellar. 
Cincinnati's going up against a formidable foe offensively. They're going to have to know where Will Anderson is defensively. And it's going to be a great challenge for Cincinnati. There's no doubt about that. They don't necessarily have the explosiveness down the field that Alabama does, but they've got a weapon in Ford that can help them stay in the game. Would well, it be an interesting thing? You know, I'm glad to see that they're in it. It's kind of either put up or shut up for the G5. Um, obviously, Cincinnati is going to the Big 12, uh, so that's going to help their, you know, their street cred uh, moving forward. But I'm um, definitely looking forward to the game. I'm glad to see them get their opportunity. And who knows, maybe they they pull an upset. I've always said, you know, if we expand the playoffs, I don't expect, you know, a, a lower seed to win the, the college football playoff, you know, if it's an 11 out of 12 teams. But they could certainly win for a week. It's, it's definitely possible and shake things up. If we had a 12-game playoff this year, do you think Notre Dame as a five would want any part of Utah as a 12? No, absolutely not. I mean, with the way Utah was playing at the end of the season, I mean, who, who, who would have wanted any part of that team uh, on a neutral field somewhere? Now, if we go by the expanded playoff, Notre Dame would actually host Utah in that game based on what we've heard about the layers of what that would be in that first round. But either way, do you think Notre Dame would want any part of that red-hot physical Utah team uh, the way they played over the last month of the season? All you got to do is call Eugene, Oregon, and they will tell you all you need to know about the Utes who have overcome so much this year uh, off the field to be as, as good as they have on the field. Absolutely. I mean, think of the expanded playoff. You get a chance to actually get better as the season goes on. You don't have to be perfect anymore, especially if you're in a Power 5 conference. Uh, you know, as a Penn State fan, 2016, perfect example. That team was not good at the beginning of the year, kind of rolled through the Big Ten late, you know, beat Ohio State, beat Wisconsin, and there was no room for them because they had two losses. And the team that at the end of the season wasn't even close to the team as it was in the beginning of the season. Utah was terrible in the beginning of the year, complete surprise, completely turned it around. They're by far the best team in the Pac-12. Uh, you know, you could even make that case maybe with Baylor a little bit too. This teams get better because they get older, especially younger teams. So yeah. a 12-team playoff will allow us to see like a team that's hot get in just like you've seen the tournament, the NCAA tournament. A&M was a perfect example last year. I mean, uh, nobody would have wanted a, a first-round matchup with them the way they were playing uh, at Absolutely. the end of the season. Kellen Mond was playing some terrific football uh, for them. They had a great running back as well. So, you know, that's why – that's why I like the expansion of the playoff. Is an eight, nine, or ten going to win consistently? No. By nature, we by nature we know the better teams are going to win most of the time. But think about how excited we get in that once in a while that a VCU gets to the Final Four, George Mason gets uh, mm -hmm. to the Final Four. You know, St. Joe's goes to the regular season the, in the basketball tournament. You know, they go undefeated into the the NCAA tournament. You know, there's it creates storylines and it creates promotion for the game. And let's face it, over the last couple of years, the only thing we've promoted is basically three or four programs, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama. That's all we've talked about over the last four years. Every now and then, you know, we'd have a, a new name pop up. And that's what's so good about having uh, Michigan and Cincinnati in this thing this year is we, we've got somebody different to talk about uh, for a change in these games. Yeah, and I, you know, Pete, I was the one on the show for the last couple of weeks being probably the hardest on Cincinnati. And, you know, and I, I've always brought up, you know, we've had Tim Murray on the show. We just had some different guests that I always brought up, like when they played Navy, that game was really tight. Then Tulane, Tulane was down to like their third string quarterback, mm -hmm. and that game was really tight. The Tulsa game, the quarterback uh, goes goes heads head first, and that's probably a touchdown. They're going for two to tie it. but. 
I had a lot of people criticize me. And I, you know, when Sunday came, I had no problem with Cincinnati getting in. They, like you said, they played their schedule. You can't fault them for their schedule. And the schedule's set for years. Like it's set up, like they might add here and there, but it's in, they deserve to get in. I don't have a problem with Cincinnati. And I think you made a great point with, they played the games they did. And like you brought up the UVA game in basketball, I'm not trying to change the sport here, but that's one great thing with college basketball. I think early in the season so far is some of these teams are playing these games and they are going to like UVA to James Madison. And that's great for the sport. More football teams should kind of do that. I, you know, it's, it's, it's what builds the sport. I, I think. Right. But see, the difference is, Tony Bennett can lose that game now in November or early December. And by late February, if they're playing reasonably good basketball, nobody remembers that in football, you lose that game. You go on the road and you play somebody, you know, say, say Alabama goes on the road and plays at, you know, Michigan state or uh, worse, you know, goes and plays like at Cincinnati or something like that, a G five team. Cause that's kind of the parallel we draw with UVA and James Madison. And they lose that game. You know, I mean, that it's hard to recover from that game in football if you lose just one time. In basketball, you've got time to recover from it because of the 68 teams uh, that get into the tournament. So there's still time for Tony's team to get it together. They've got a long way to go. They're not a deep team, but they, they've at least got time. You lose in September, you got to work your rear end off to get back into this thing. Uh, in terms of, and that's why, you know, Alabama having the opportunity against Georgia helps them considerably. Sure, everybody, everybody was knew if they were uh, the committee loved them anyway, but because that game against Georgia uh, at the end of the season is there for them for the taking. I mean, what if Notre Dame or Ohio State had a, another game against a, a top opponent? You know that that could have helped them. But I mean, you know, that's what helped Michigan jump over Michigan state and Ohio state is uh, the committee. A loved Michigan, even though they lost to Michigan state, because they played one bad quarter against Michigan state. That's it. They played one bad quarter. And the committee took that into consideration saying, yeah, you played good for three quarters in that game. So we still love you. And then you beat Ohio state that gave them a chance to jump over some people uh, and obviously get into this playoff. My only thing with the final four. Now I'm going to sound like a Homer here. I'm a really big Michigan fan, uh, Pete. My only thing with this was Michigan's gone out the last couple weeks and has played extremely well. They were number two going into last week's game. Now, Alabama, absolutely great performance on Saturday against Georgia. But if you look back at some of them, and a lot of people did not even want, oh, they're going to lose, they're going to lose. They barely squeaked by Auburn. I mean, they didn't score that game. That's still remarkable, remarkable to me that they had zero points, like in the third quarter or late in that game. How did they not score against Auburn? And then they do something against Georgia, but a lot of people, what's your thought? I just want to hear it. I'm going to take my being a Homer out of Michigan. Why did Michigan not go to number one and Alabama go to number two? Is it because of the rematch you think? To Alabama played off. Stop. This is my dog. She's trying to get on the show. Uh, <laughs> Alabama. Played Auburn essentially without Jamison Williams. He got eliminated by a targeting penalty on special teams. That's their that's their best player outside of the quarterback. And in the Georgia game, they beat the number one team in the country soundly. So 
that's probably what gave them the advantage. But the committee told us all year already, hey, we know you lost to Texas A&M who's not ranked, but we love you. You're Alabama. We love you anyway. So that's what you're up against when you have a small committee of people that are making these decisions, and they simply look at Michigan's win over Ohio State and Alabama's win over Georgia, and they take the Georgia win over Michigan's win over Ohio State, and that's why that's why they end up, I think, it, the committee making them number one. I, I don't want to say it's an easy decision to make, but it made it easier for the committee. They can simply point that Georgia was the number one team for the entire ranking. Alabama beat them on a semi-neutral field. Game's in Georgia anyway, so it's kind of a, you know, it was a mild home field advantage for, for Georgia in that game. So that probably is what gives them uh, the, the edge in that category late in the season. I mean, because if you look at the hey, if you look at the criteria, if you look at the criteria at the end of the season, one loss teams. Notre Dame lost to a team in the top four. Their strength of schedule is twenty four. Georgia lost to a team in the top four. Their strength of schedule is forty nine. So should Notre Dame have had a case to get in over Georgia based on some criteria? I mean, you could have you could make that case. The eye test tells us in our minds that Georgia defense is an elite unit and has been for most of the season and they deserve to be in. But I'm just saying, if, if we start pulling out criteria, which we could always use criteria, and this is what happens in the basketball tournament. We could always use criteria to make any case that we want. We could have made a case for Notre Dame, simply the fact that, Hey, they lost the number four and their strength of schedule was 24. And you could have made a case for keeping Georgia out and putting Notre Dame in if you wanted just on pure on you know numbers and analytics because we can use that analytical stuff any way we want to make a case for anybody uh you know in any sport we're talking about well i mean we saw that you know back in the bcs days when you had the two loss lsu national champion that's a prime example you know the numbers put them ahead of some one loss and no loss teams uh so that that plays right into it we've obviously gotten better uh, to kind of wrap this up and move to the next topic. We've gotten better by having that ability to say, okay, like you said, the Michigan State, Michigan, you you played better and dominated for three quarters out of four. They beat you in the one quarter when it mattered. But now we have humans to make that decision where a keyboard and a computer, they're not making that choice. Uh, I think at the end of the day, we all are supporting, you know, an expanded playoff. Now it's just kind of figuring out how much. Uh, because again, you can make a case, like we've always said, you know, those, those teams, it, it, like you said, it makes the game better, you know, when you do have the upsets and things like that. Um, and I think it gets, get rid of the other bowl games with that too. I know you're trying to protect the top six bowl games, the new year's six per se, give those six, the bowl games. We all know it. You sit 30 players anyways, if you're in the Monarchy car care, you know, bowl, uh, nobody really cares. I mean, I hate to say that and be vain about it, but if you're not a family member or a close friend or just a degenerate gambler like, like most of us are, you just don't really care, you know, about that 1.30 on a Tuesday in middle of December game in the Bahamas. I'm sorry. It is what it is. Um, but at the end of the day, we've, we've gotten better in the, the process. Uh, we're getting teams in that I think deserve to play, and, and we'll see how it plays out, you know, with Cincinnati in the top four. Uh, but then, you know, maybe we get an expansion playoff. So um, with that being said, let's just stick to the uh, – we've got great college football talk, so let's roll into probably the best game of the year every year uh, for multitude of reasons. But Army-Navy game, it's so prestigious. It just means so much. Um, you know, it's probably one of the greatest sports 
events, you know, across the board. Uh, so right now you have Army laying seven and a half. I mean, they are just taking in all the money. It's 92% of the money and 58% of the tickets. Uh, just kind of give me, I mean, you're the expert on this. Give me the, the runaround for the game. I think the higher the number, uh, you know, if you can get Navy, you know, th- this game traditionally, even in a pandemic last year, this thing is three nothing, you know, late third quarter. Navy breaks off a big run. They get stopped at the one-yard line. If we punch it in, we probably win the game 7-3. So I, I think you're talking about because there's so few possessions in this game, total certainly uh, is something you look at in any Army or Navy game, uh, especially when they play each other, any service academy game. Uh, the number tends to be down uh, for the most part because of the lack of possessions uh, in the football game. I think both defenses are really good. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any question both defenses are good. Uh, and they're going to have a lot of say. They're going to dictate what happens uh, in this game. So, I mean, look, I mean, Navy's gotten progressively better as the season has gone along. Uh, there's no question that the competition they've played overall is better than Army's schedule for what that's worth. But Army, I mean, Army going to Liberty, people don't realize how to go to Liberty and just smash Liberty the way they did. It's a pretty impressive win uh, for the Black Knights. Uh, I was really surprised at how non-competitive Liberty was uh, in that game. Not that Army won it, because Army can play keep away. And but what what happens with both of these teams when you play them is if you miss a couple of turns, all of a sudden you're in panic mode because you look up in the late third quarter, you've had the ball like four, maybe five times. You've only got ten points on the board. You look up and they're they're beating you like twenty one ten, and you're running out of time, and you start to play panic offense. The great thing about both of these teams is offensively is they understand that. And I think it's, again, I think we're headed for another close, low-scoring game uh, between these two uh, coming up on Saturday. Of course, last year, the game was at West Point on the home turf. This is close to West Point. Meadowlands not far away down at Garden State Parkway. But uh, I think we have the chance for another great, great football game uh, coming up on Saturday, no doubt about it. 15 in a row, unders. Yeah. I can tell J Cam shaking his head because he likes the over. He says he's going to be different. <laughs> Love and it. And you know, the, the, the under speaks loudly all the time in this game. So it does. It does. No, no, it I was does. just looking at it. I think we saw, we went through the scores before you came on. Uh, I think 38 was it the highest to the last five years, and 38 in the other games were in the 20s. So, and then last year's game was obviously in some, I think it was in the fog, right? At, up in um, yeah. West Point. And, and 2019 was an outlier because Malcolm just, Malcolm Perry ran for over 300 yards. He ran for 2,000 for us that season. Obviously, he's an NFL player. He's in the league right now on the Saints roster. Yeah. So that that's a difference maker in a, in a service academy game, just like Keenan Reynolds was uh, for Navy winning four straight games uh, in that series. He's a guy that made it to the league. So when you, when you have a player of that caliber who can make that kind of a difference, that in itself, you know, gives you an edge. But even in a couple of those games later in Keenan's career, I think his last game, they only won 21-17. So, but again, low total uh, in the course of that game, 38 up on the board again. So, Pete, I got a question. So, you, you know, you voice the Navy, you go every game you're doing. What makes this game so special when you see you know 4400 kids from each school march in to the stadium in step uh 
you and I, and I try to, you know, I try to explain this to people. And unfortunately, we got another uh, example of that. Uh, they just announced today, Brian Bourgeois, who played for us uh, in the early 2000s, SEAL Team 8 commander passed away in a training accident uh, a few days ago. And that's always the point I try to make to people in in these interviews is when these football players are done on Saturday, Army has another game because they're going to go to the Armed Forces Bowl. So, but when they when they hang up that helmet for the last time, for 99% of them usually, it's their last football game. They then join the greatest fighting force in the world, you know, six months later for the seniors. And they work every day to protect our freedoms and our way of life uh, in this country. And on on Saturday, we don't see any political affiliation. There's no Republican. There's no Democrat. There's no independent. They're all just football players and they're playing for our country. Uh, they're going to be part of our you know, fighting force one day. And, and with all of the athletes and all the students at, at both of these institutions, I just I, I think it's important for people to know that uh, and that's you know, the depth of what both of these schools represent. Uh, on Saturday, when you look at the pageantry, the people, the presidents, I mean, I've shaken the hands of multiple presidents uh, at these games. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is in my booth uh, a couple of years ago, taking pictures with me and Joe Miller, my color man. And, you know, I mean, the secretaries of the Navy and, and you know, people like that, that I've had a chance to interview and, and get to know, and they know me by my name. That's what the next year, that's what, you know, struck me. I'm like, my gosh, this guy's, you know, one of the uh, top five or six most important people in the world uh, from a, uh, you know, defense standpoint, this guy knows my name when he shows up the next year. So that's what, that's what this game is all about. It's about players who are selfless, uh, who sign up for something greater than just football. Uh, and that's, uh, that's to protect our country uh, each and every day upon graduation. So what's your schedule like on this week? Obviously, as the voice of Navy, how much media do you have to do on a given Army-Navy week? Like, obviously, we're bugging you here for a good half hour, but, like, what is it every night up leading up to the game? Yeah, I mean, this is like – I think this is like my fourth or fifth one uh, so far. I got two more tonight. Then I got to get in the car tomorrow, uh, 2.30 a.m. Uh, I'll be at the Meadowlands starting at 6 a.m. doing uh, marketing for USAA on TV stations across the country. I got to be on the weather – I'll be on the Weather Channel Thursday morning at – 8.30 with Jim Cantori and Stephanie Abrams. Uh, so then I'll come home. I got to actually do the Army-Navy swim meet with Rowdy Gaines on ESPN Plus Thursday night. Then I drive back up there. We're doing Radio Row uh, on the USS Intrepid Friday afternoon, which is in Manhattan. And then I'll drive back to the team hotel Friday night, and uh, we'll get up and uh, do the game. I'm glad it's not a noon game. As much as I love noon games, noon in Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago was fantastic. I was back home in time to watch. I was home in time to watch the second half of Alabama-Auburn. Uh, <laughs> night games, great. I was able to watch the full Bedlam game and stuff. But So noon kickoffs are really, really good. We don't play many of those, unfortunately. But, you know, uh, 3 o'clock game, the march on's a little after 12. So we'll probably have to be at the stadium by 10, 1030 because of all the security measures and things of that nature. But the, the next 72 hours, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, are just a whirlwind. Uh, they're a blur. But, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. As a five-year-old, this is all I've ever wanted to do my entire life. And so I'm not going to complain now that I'm actually having to do some work uh, in that capacity because I, I love talking about the Naval Academy. Um, I've been a part of their broadcast crew since 1997. 
uh, in various ways. And to be able to, to meet these student athletes, male and female, their, their coaches, uh, people that uh, ascend into, you know, Navy and Marine Corps leadership uh, eventually and see them come back and to be able to talk about their lives with them and more importantly, try to express to the country what these uh, young men and women do at both uh, at both places. I find it to be a responsibility and I, I don't take that responsibility lightly. And I, I, I just enjoy talking about them because getting to know them, their parents, their backgrounds, it's been fascinating uh, through the years to get to know a lot of these kids. That's for sure. And like I said, there's only 130 division one football teams and I'm the, I'm the play-by-play voice for one of them. So, you know, that's, that puts you in pretty select company. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, it's, it's, this is one of the few games, you know, I get bumps, you know, obviously when your team's playing in a national championship or something, you get that, but army Navy, you know, just being a neutral fan. I mean, it definitely gets me a uh, little goosebumps and gets me going, you know, for the game. Um, but we will have to talk to uh, Navy Athletics and maybe get you a private jet because that's a lot of driving uh, for for Pete, the A-list Medhurst. Uh, so we'll we'll get in hey, touch with the school. Louisville <laughs> back a couple of Mondays ago for basketball. I left my house at 7 a.m., got into Louisville a little after 4, broadcasted the game at 8, got in a car right after the game and drove back. So uh, – an interesting drive. I can tell you a lot about Western Maryland, West Virginia, and Kentucky. If you <laughs> at direction on 79, well, trust me. I love it. I love it. All right, Pete, I want to get your thoughts uh, and, then, and then we will let you go. I know you got some other uh, commitments tonight, but so last time I brought you on, it was you and me. We were talking a little Washington football team. Uh, it was right before they kind of went on this run. Um, they played really well since the Packers game. I mean, they were in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the road, and then, you know, since that, they're 4-2. They've won four in a row, and they played some decent opponents. You know, the Raiders are are certainly uh, tough. The Panthers, you know, Cam Newton's always tough uh, just from a defensive standpoint. And then the Bucs, I mean, the Super Bowl defending champs um, who look like they're going to be in it again. You know, when you get four solid wins like that, um, you know, it's great. And one of the things that we talked about was, you know, does Taylor Heineke learn how to play over 16 games and not over a two-game stretch in terms of, you know, what he does? Does he get smarter uh, and kind of instead of running for that second yard on a, you know, second and eight or whatever, does he throw the ball away uh, and live another, you know, another play? Uh, and, and I think we're seeing that. What do you think? I definitely think we've seen him get better. Uh, we've seen him take less risk though the Raiders had a couple of opportunities to turn that game the other day. I think finally some bounces are starting to happen for the team. Zay Jones should have caught the ball on the first pass after Johnson kicked the field goal Sunday. David Carr or Derek Carr puts that ball right there. Jones should probably catch the ball, even though McCain is grabbing his shirt uh, from behind. Two guys drop interceptions. So for the first time in a while, some of the bounces are actually starting to go Washington's way. But since that Green Bay game you mentioned, They've not given up 24 or more points in any game since then. So when you don't give up a lot of points like they were earlier in the year, you don't have to score a lot of points. Your offense doesn't have to be as perfect uh, and, 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 and as great. And you can run the football. I mean, Antonio Gibson, number one rusher right now in, in the NFC at 800 yards so far on the season. They have to run the ball to be successful because it keeps the ball away from the other team. It reduces the chances for the other team to score. I mean, football – can be a real simple game. Right now, Washington's playing real simple football. That's how you win back-to-back 17-15 games. The defense has gotten better, without question. And ironically, the fact that they're doing it without Sweat and Young is what makes it even 
harder in some ways to comprehend that they've gotten better. But the fact that Gibson is running strong, knock on wood, he's healthy. And Heineke had that it gene in the fourth quarter, man. I mean, if they had a kicker against Seattle, they kick a field goal at the end of that money drive and the game is over and we don't have to sweat out the onside kick and everything like that. But there's another case. Seattle lines up incorrectly. So there's another thing that goes Washington's way that in the past probably uh, doesn't go their way. But the fact that Taylor seems to have that it factor in the fourth quarter, and look, that's how you make your name. You win games and you do it in the fourth quarter. That's how you make a name for yourself. And I think he's certainly moving himself, uh, barring some deal that just drops in their lap. I think he's your quarterback for 2022, and he's earned the opportunity. It's not going to be by default like it has been this year because of injury, but I think it's because he's earned the opportunity getting better as the season has gone along. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's great you mentioned that Chase Young's out. Uh, Montez Sweat has been injured. Now it is, I will say, I, I thought Montez Sweat, when he was playing, was definitely playing better than, than Chase Young. I think he's a little more polished. I mean, with Chase Young, you just get the straight bull rush every time. Sweat does a little more. Uh, but I think you're starting to see guys like I and I to step up, Tim Settle, Deron Payne, and it's really creating some some havoc in the front. Uh, another guy that stepped up, you know, Cameron Curl is looking great. I mean, he's up for a Pro Bowl uh, potentially. Um, and then Landon Collins, you know, obviously he's hurt, but he dropped down to a linebacker. He seems to be playing a little better. Um, I mean, he's a speedier linebacker in that sense. So it's starting to seem like you said, not only with the bounces, but they're just starting to click defensively and kind of play, you know, more of a role and not a, a one-on-one guy. Um, you know, one of the things uh, I think that's, that uh, is great. Like you said, the if factor, but uh, with Taylor, he kind of, we were talking with the guys, he kind of reminds you of that Brett Favre in the fourth quarter, maybe that gutsy performance, you know, he's not going to be the greatest, most polished guy, uh, but he's going to get it done. And I think it's ironic that Taylor's favorite player, you know, idolizing growing up was Brett Favre. And you really just kind of see that game kind of emulating to that. Uh, So I think that's a great point. Um, I, I like them. What do you think about them this week? Uh, to kind of finish it up against Cowboys. You know, the Cowboys have shown the ability to lose. We've seen that. They bounce back. Uh, I didn't think they looked the greatest against the Saints, but the Saints are kind of beat up, so it, you know, kind of tailored to them. Uh, but right now you got a, a team that's, you know, higher than cloud nine right now uh, in terms of success. Do they kind of roll in there and punch Dallas in the mouth, you know, at home, or does this kind of where Dallas turns it on in a big NFC East battle? Problem here for Washington is this they got to get pressure on Dak and get him off his spot. They've got too many weapons. I mean, they've just got so many weapons to put pressure on you. But if you can move Prescott around the pocket and, and, and disrupt that timing, then that takes away that opportunity to get those explosive plays. Pollard is so dynamic, either via catching passes out of the backfield or running the ball. We know what Zeke is capable of. He looks like he's going to you know, play a little bit more, even though he's had some knee issues, but they're getting defensive reinforcements back. The problem for the Cowboys has been on the offensive line. They're, some of their top guys have not been available. They've had to rotate you know, guys at one tackle spot, at one guard spot. Washington's got to take advantage of that, uh, in my mind, coming up this week to get Dak off of his spot. Because if Dak is able to sit back there with time, I don't care how much better Washington's secondary is playing. And they are playing better. I don't care how much better they're playing. If Dak's got time to throw to those weapons – that's going to be a problem uh, coming up on Sunday uh, because Washington 
has probably outside of, I mean, I would put Dallas's weapons on the perimeter. I mean, you would take Kelsey over Schultz at tight end, but Schultz is good. Cooper and Hill, I guess, at wide receiver one is a wash. But C.D. Lamb is better than anybody else the Chiefs have on the outside. Um, Adams is better than anybody the Chiefs has at wide receiver, but their depth at receiver is not as good as Dallas is in Green Bay. So when I start looking around at the weapons that Washington has faced, this is probably the best group that they will see uh, all season because of four wide receivers who are good, a tight end, and two running backs that anytime they're on the field, you got to account for them. It's going to be a stiff test for Washington's defense coming up this week. I just noticed that they're both in one game in the Cowboys. I didn't realize the Cowboys had fallen back. And the, I knew that, obviously, the football team had been on a roll there. And I uh, also just noticed the schedule quirk that it's all uh, NFC East from here on out. So, I mean, they basically can win this division fairly easily. <laughs> also lose for the next five games. I mean, I, I think that's the margin for error Washington has. Um, they, that, they could easily lose to Dallas twice. And if Nick Sirianni has the guts to stay with Gardner Minshew, look at what they were able to do. People in Philadelphia, and myself included, have been, you know, analyzing Philadelphia saying, hey, got to run the ball more. You got Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwell. Kenneth Gainwell's a terrific back out of Memphis, just like Tony Pollard out of Memphis. Daryl Henderson, who's playing for the Rams out of Memphis. They've been fantastic football players. The NFC League leader, Antonio Gibson, out of Memphis. So there's a theme developing here. but. Um, they ran for 185 yards this week. And if Philadelphia has that kind of offensive balance, they're going to be a pain in the neck for Washington uh, in two of these last five games as well. So Washington could very easily go one and four down the stretch. And I would not be shocked at that based on how much better Philadelphia has gotten and how good Dallas already is. And I don't think anybody in I mean, people in Washington would be disappointed, but when you look at the depth of, Washington's roster, where they are right now, and where they where they could end up, probably wouldn't satisfy the fan base. But if Ron got this team to eight or nine wins somehow, I think that would have to be successful. Nine certainly gets you in the discussion for the playoffs. Ten probably puts you in the playoffs. So that means you got to win four uh, of the five, which means you got to sweep uh, one of those opponents, either Dallas or Philadelphia. I just think that's going to be tough to do especially if Sirianni stays with Minshew in Philadelphia. Yeah, I agree. Actually, one of the reasons we picked him last week was they went to Minshew because we thought he added a passing attack that they had been kind of lacking. Hurts had been struggling. But yeah, I mean, anyway, football team, they're ahead of schedule. They, were, they weren't even here at this point last year, right? They still have a, a worse record at 12 games. You know, they're kind of ahead of schedule, and they're playing as good as anybody in the NFC at this point. You, you had something to say? Yeah, I was just going to say, he said you have to sweep. I mean, I just, it's so tough in the NFC East. I mean, it, sometimes it's not the best football, but it can be some of the hardest football. I mean, they just beat each other up. They have a, a true hatred uh, for each other, and, and that's going to be tough. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they continue, uh, you know, moving along. Um, I would have to say if I had to pick one who I would think they would sweep, it would be Philly just for the f- simple fact. I think the Cowboys have a little better defense than them. Uh, so I think yeah. you have to score. Um but it's going to be a great game. I'll be interested in it. The last, like you said, four or five games is going to be great. Uh, so we'll see kind of how that plays out. Um, Pete, I, I want to thank you again for coming on. I know you're a busy guy. You know, it means the world to us to have you on, especially, you know, uh, Smitty and I are, are in the DMV area. So, you know, we tune into you pretty regularly. I mean, I, I remember the first time I heard you was on the Junkies. And I was like, man, who's 
who's that guy? And, and, and they, you know, refer to you as Pedro and, and, and I've been, you know, stuck on you ever since. So I appreciate you coming on and, and I know, uh, Smitty, J cam and, and the other guy who's not with us, uh, could probably attest to the same. So. I appreciate it. Anytime, man. Anytime for you guys. Okay. All right, Pete, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll Pete. get with you. We'll get you on again and, uh, Take care. Good luck. Drive safe and uh, enjoy the game. I mean, it's going to be a great game, but we'll be watching. All right. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. Appreciate the time. Great interview, boys. Uh, again, Pete Metters, I mean, he's a local guy around here. You know, he's, he's just uh, incredible. Um, Jason, I mean, you definitely miss a good radio guy down here. Yeah, no, I mean, working with the commute, obviously, up not a commute these days. I don't get as much radio as I used to. So that's, uh, I have to make it up with great podcasts like ours. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, we're going to have to get him, get in that booth. Mark Wahlberg's a beat lister compared to us. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. Yeah. That was again, you know, I saying to someone a couple of days ago and they said, you know, talked about our podcast and they were asking me some things. And I said, again, it's just the people we get to meet. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this, this is the coolest thing about, because we're opinionated. And you might, hey, listen, some people don't really like my opinion on some certain things. And that's great. I mean, and that's fine. And that's what it's about. But man, the greatest thing that we've done so far is get to meet these people that we've watched on television or just doing in the booth to radio down here to on the football field to and just to have a chance to talk to these people. It is remarkable. And he's like you said, man, being down here. He, I mean, the one question I wanted to ask him, and we'll get him on again because um, I just wanted to know what is he does everything. I mean, that guy does everything. He does Rosecroft, Rosecroft Racing uh, announcer. You know, Navy football. I think Navy basketball. Um, Navy swimming. Navy swimming. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Add another <laughs> one on that. He umpires uh, softball games. He uh, referees high school basketball games. He does Nats. Uh, he did a couple of Nats games uh, in the past, has a radio show, everything. Follow him on Twitter, too. I mean, he it's 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 neat to follow him on Twitter and stuff. And uh, he's a stand up guy. Like I said, I wrote him. I think what did I tell you guys the other night? We've been I mean, he follows us. We follow him. I think I wrote him at like midnight the other night. I mean, he responded right back to me. and We set all this up and he was like trying to do it in the afternoon. And I said, oh, you know, we all have day jobs and. I said, hey, we'll get you back on. And he wrote me right back and said, no, we're going to make it work. And that's that's awesome. That was really, that was cool of him. So we appreciate it, man. What, and just to hear the, the Army-Navy stuff that he said there was remarkable, I think. Yeah, no, that was really great to be able to get him uh, during Army-Navy week and to hear his schedule, which has to be chaotic. And for him to make time with us was great. Um, yeah. I'll tell no, you it's, uh... Sorry, go ahead, Q. Oh, I was just going to say, I'll tell you what, I was kind of digging that Navy hoodie he had. I might have to <laughs> find it. That was pretty nice. I don't know if you guys paid any attention to it, but it's their new uniform scheme, and I'm, I was pretty uh, pretty hooked on it. <laughs> hey, I like merch. I like team merch. Nothing wrong with team merch. I was buying a different T-shirt every week from Home Field Apparel. So. <laughs> if you're listening, I'm a size large. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, boys, uh, again, we'll get it back on. That was a great interview. Uh, I'm sure everybody will like that one. Let's talk about uh, – can I, can I just jump in? Because I I, yeah. I knew we needed to get him off. And I think you guys, what you said about the football team, because one thing about me is I'm going to be opinionated on the show. And 
if I'm right, I'm going to tell you about it. I think if I'm incorrect, well, I'll come back and say that maybe I was incorrect. The one thing about the football team. Now, I did not take them Sunday. I took I took Vegas. And that was a tough game, and I lost, and that's fine. And I've been taking the, the football team the last couple of weeks. The thing about the football team that I think is different right now is they have an identity. And my point with the identity is this. They went to, with Taylor not taking as many chances, playing smart, and they're pounding the football. They're taking those drives when they, like, you know, a couple, I can't remember the game. I can't remember who it was against. I wish I, I'm sorry, but my, my point is they had the lead late and the entire drive in the fourth quarter, they controlled the ball and they like iced it. That's what they're doing right now. They're really, they, I have, I do not recall an, a team down here the last couple of years that had an identity that right now they do it's pound the ball, pound the ball, pound the ball, play smart, let him scramble, let him make shorter throws, not taking chances. Are they low scoring games? Who cares? It doesn't matter. End of the game, it's the W. And right now they're doing the W. So I my I tip my hat to them right now. I'm not a big fan of theirs team down here, living down here. I'm a Steeler fan, but they're playing well. And I can't remember who said it on the show a little bit ago, right? I think it might've been J-Cam that right now they are playing one of the best football in the NFC. Jason, I know you got a point, but I'll just touch on Smitty real quick. You know, you were saying they're shortening the throws. That's what works for them. I mean, they have such shifty guys, and they're not the biggest receivers to begin with. So those short throws, I mean, it gives them a clear advantage. Uh, but with those short throws, and I have always said this, I've never understood it. When you have like third and short, you know, third and three or fourth and two, I've never understood why teams run a one like whatever the, the yardage is, they run the route like one or two yards short. And they, they just, they always get tackled right, you know, just before the line. I've never understood that. The one thing I've noticed is when they're getting in those opportunities or those situations, if they're th fourth and three or third and two, they're running past the sticks. And that is the difference in keeping those drives together. They're not doing the dumb things that every team has done for decades. And I've sat there and said, why would you run a dumb route like that? If, if you needed two yards, why are you running a one yard out? It's never worked. And you're starting to see that. And it's getting those six, seven, eight yard minute drives. It's keeping their defense, defense fresh. Sorry. And then it's, it's, it's keeping the other team off the field. And those are the identity. I think, like you said, it goes with the yarders they're pounding, but they're playing smart with those short yard gains and it's working for them. That's the identity is playing smart. Yeah, no, as an outsider who doesn't see them play that much, I mean, you just see the difference uh, in the body language and everything else since Rivera's got there. Um, you know, they, they played the Steelers on one of those midweek games last year that uh, COVID forced. And even though they trailed for most of that game, you can just kind of tell that they had a plan. And you, you haven't seen that out of the football team, like you said, in a good long time. And you can just tell that they're kind of – they've bought in. Now, I think they had some issues earlier in the year where I don't necessarily think Young bought in. I think he started to read the headlines a little bit. Um, and he'll figure that out now as he sees his teammates kind of without him, they're doing just as well. I mean, I think that's important for a guy of that level to understand that, you know, everyone still has to do their role. You're just really good at your role. But, I mean, that's that's the biggest difference, right? That when you see teams go on the road and play against the Packers and play them like, you know, uh, inch for inch, 
you know that that team's well coached and they're executing the game plan that went, went forth. So you can just tell the difference Rivera's made. They just need to fill in the bodies. And I think they're actually doing a good job of that too. So, um, you know, I, obviously Heineke's had a good year at quarterback. We'll see if he's a long-term guy. He deserves a shot at it just for his performance this year. But, you know, they're going to have another draft. They're going to keep adding on. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go. I think that's every team. I mean, Heineke, and again, I've joked on the show because I there's some listeners that are diehard his fans, and I've made some jokes. He absolutely deserves everything he's getting right now. He has a shot to be the quarterback. No joke aside, I'm not joking anymore. He he has done that. But I agree with Jason. You know, they're going to draft. It's like the Steelers, man. Steelers are going to be in the same situation. Where are they going with the quarterback? You know, is is it Rudolph? Who is it? Like every team, but that's competition. That's what it's about. That's everybody. You shouldn't just say maybe this guy, if he's like, eh, like it should have been like what it was this year. They brought Fitzpatrick in. Heineke played great in the playoff game. It was competition. That's what makes, that's what overall makes teams better is competition. Uh, to kind of end the, the, the Redskins talk before we get into the Thursday night game. <sighs> So we obviously said, like, who do you know going into next season, or if you hindsight twenty twenty, would you have started Heineke or Fitzmagic? Uh, you know, we all kind of consensusly chose Heineke. Uh, when you look at who they have, you know, I think Mac Jones. You know, they had the opportunity to draft him, they didn't. I think you still would draft him. You know, especially what he's done in New England. Uh, but when you look at a guy like Justin Fields or Trey Lance or Trevor Lawrence, you know what they're doing, uh, and they may not have as many weapons um, as you know, the Redskins do uh, or the Washington football team does, because let's face it, they do have some solid players on their team that would, you know, probably start on, on a lot of other teams. Comparing Heineke to those guys, where do you stand? Because I almost lean Heineke. I know he's a little older by a couple of years, but I think in the same amount of time that those guys have shown, he's produced better. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, no, I Completely agree. I mean, I think, you know, he's kind of earned the job. He's done it with performance, which you don't always see. Um, you know, they, they've tried to take it away from him, and um, he's kind of had a fight for it. And, you know, I mean, there's some that thing, too. He knows the other side of it. Like, he's seen when you don't get to play, when you actually get cut. And I think that helps him a lot. I think that kind of helps him play the way he does because, you know, he's seen what the other side is if you, if you get cut, if you lose your job. And, you know, he was there. He was in NBA school. <laughs> he was he was out of the league. So, I mean, I think that's a big part of why he's been good. Smitty, who would you take? Uh, you know, if you could compare, you know, what Heineke's done this season to the same season that um, Trevor Lawrence and, and Justin Fields and those guys. I mean, he, at this point, I, Jason, I think, agrees and I would agree based on the same amount of playing time. I'm probably now obviously there are ceilings you know, higher than Heineke's, but I, I'm taking Heineke to start over Justin Fields, over Trevor Lawrence. I think he's just producing more, and he is a young guy on a cheaper contract. Well, man, that's tough. I think that the problem is with people is this, is you get caught up in the name. Heineke now, again, in fantasy football, Heineke was great to have on your team. Because he was throwing up a lot of numbers, you know, that, but you want the name coming into your team because the franchise quarterback, I think it just goes back with running backs right now. If you look at Dallas and you have Dallas now, Ezekiel Elliott has some issues with some knees and some ankles right now, but Tony Pollard was 
right now, Tony, even when maybe Zeke was healthy, Pollard was not the big name, but maybe playing better. Same thing. I think too many people sometimes get caught up in the name of the people and not by the performance. There's practice and there's a game. Who plays better should be playing. Bottom line. It doesn't matter. But again, the problem is it's a business and they put a lot of money into people. And that's the problem because you got to get those people that have the money on their contract in there to play. And he doesn't make a lot right now. Absolutely. What I, what the, what the skins or football team, whatever you want to call them, what they should do next year. He absolutely should have the job. I think. If you want to draft somebody new and have that competition again, go for it. Same with, I think, a lot of teams. A lot of teams will do that. Um, but he deserves, and again, I've made a lot of jokes on the show. He has played fantastic. And again, uh, my hat, tip my hat to them, man. They're playing extremely well. And I think, like J-Cam said, out of you look anybody right now in there, they are right there. They can be up there in the playoffs, and they could win some games in the playoffs how they're playing right now. I, I mean, obviously, like Jones would probably be the only one you make an argument about right now that you would take over from. Um, everyone else is still really in a, a raw stage, a developmental stage. If you'll just show him flashes, I mean, he played pretty well Monday night against the Steelers. You know, he showed you what he could do, why people were excited. You also saw a lot of things that he doesn't do well. Um, Lance is basically a pure development. He's a good example of where, you know, that guy's going to have to make a huge jump in the offseason for them, or they're going to have some real issues with caps because they're going to have a lot of money tied up in quarterback when they didn't want to. Um, you know, Wilson is really, he's another guy probably needs to sit a little bit behind a vet and just kind of ease up a little. I mean, the arms there, but he makes some really bad decisions. I thought he would improve as the season got on injury has been a factor, but he really hasn't. And I think Trevor Lawrence, he just, he needs them to kind of reset that whole situation because he is not blossoming. He's not developing, you know, you're seeing the same numbers. The yards per attempt isn't great. You know, people say the receivers aren't that great, but they look like they could have been. Um, so, I mean, that's really, Jones is the only guy you can even compare, uh, on a production level. And then, like you said, the cost is big time to help because I mean, you've got veteran guys that you can put around him and they're building a team and he's cheap. The hardest thing too, is just, you know, I've said on the show, Jones just kind of got into the great situation, got in a team last year that, eh, but they had so many guys that opted out too. They brought a lot of guys back on that New England team. Then you add into the running backs that they brought in. There's another one, Stevenson, I think a really late, I can't, Jay Cam will probably know this better than me, what round he was picked in. It's just, he walked into a right situation, smart coaches, good offensive line, couple weapons. They don't have blow your mind away wide receivers or anything, but it's just that whole team thing. You know, I have a lot of people, coming at and going, well, the Steelers should draft this guy. And I'm like, yeah, they could. I don't know if they will. It just depends on what team they go to. Because, again, is Justin Fields talented? Yes. Is he on the greatest team? No. Uh, you saw that with Carr's brother for the Raiders right now. You know, when he got picked number one by the Texans, he was great at Fresno State. Well, he had no offensive line. He got killed all the time. He was laying on his back. Then you get that bad, you get the little happy feet. You get some bad, maybe, um, you know, fundamentals set in. And then it goes really array really quick there. And that's what can happen with a lot of these guys. And again, um, 
you know, what J cam just said there, you know, with Lawrence, it's just on a bad team. And I think with a really bad head coach that doesn't have a clue what he's doing, except hanging out in the bars and grinding on women. Oh, I just said that. Go on. No, that's Lawrence's biggest issues. I don't think he's getting an NFL experience right now. You have a college coach who did not bring in NFL assistance and they're trying to run an NFL team and they're struggling with all the things that a college coach would, where you got to treat the guys like professionals. They're not the college kids. You can't, you can't make them run the stadium steps. You can't take playing time away from them because they're going to get paid either way. Um, so that's what they need to reset Jacksonville and kind of get him with some NFL guys, get him in a quarterback guru, get him right. The tools are still there. And yeah. Urban, I think Stevenson, Ur- fourth round. Fourth round. Thank you. I think Urban Meyer again, that was a little, you know, again, just a funny joke about him being in that bar, but I think he's way over his head. I think he's just, it's, it's not, I'm not high on some of these college guys going to the pros. I just don't see it. He was one when they hired him. I'm like, this just ain't going to work. And you've seen it. I mean, that was a debacle. The bar situation was a debacle to what the team's doing. You know, a team, somebody asked me today, said, who do you think the worst team is? And I said, well, let's break it down. You got the Lions at one win. You have uh, Jacksonville, I believe. Do they have one win or two wins? I can't even remember. They have two, but I think the Lions are a better team with one win. So I said Lions, you break it down. You got Lions, uh, Jags, and you got uh, the Texans. I said by far, by far in my opinion, the Lions aren't even close being the worst team. They are competitive Every week, you can tell that the team has not quit on this guy. You can say you like Campbell. He's a little, he's a little different Kit Kat. There's no, no shocker on that, man. But the team, have they quit? They have not quit. They're playing hard. Jacksonville, to me, looks like they're going to quit. All right, let's talk about two uh, two teams that haven't quit on the season. Uh, we got about five minutes left on the show, so we'll get you a Thursday breakdown here. So you've got the Vikings hosting y'all's team, the Steelers. The Vikings currently are laying three and a half. The line opened up at minus four. Uh, Over under is 43 and a half. That opened up at 45 and a half. So a little dip in both lines. Um, Smitty, I'll let you start. Obviously, you're a big Steelers fan. I know Jason is too, but uh, it will start with your uh, under 45 play, and uh, you take it away. Yeah, you know, I got to give a shout out to a buddy of mine from my hometown. We were going back and forth on Twitter, and uh, just fun. It was fun. You know, we have a lot of respect for each other. I'm not a big Tomlin guy. Uh, he is, and making great points. And, you know, my points are always great. So, um, should be interesting. We're pumped for it. Yeah. You know, there's, I got to dive into this. This is tonight. This is the homework after the show. I'll dive into this a little bit more. I'll give it out an official play. Uh, you know me, I, there's only one or two games. I'll go straight in uh, the NFL. This is a teaser play. Sometimes on these single games, I like to match them up like I did with new England and went uh, three and Oh, teaser winner two player props probably do the same thing tomorrow night. I kind of like the Steelers in this, you know, in a teaser, you get them up to, I believe off the top of my head, nine and a half. And now the system plays did not go well with the 45 and below. I believe I went 0 and 3 this past week. They've been killing it, but I'm going to take it again. I think tease it up, get it to about 49, 50 off the top of my head and tease up the Steelers and match that up. And then I'll try to do some player props. I think it will be competitive. I think the Steelers will hang in this, and uh, I hope I'm incorrect with Mike Tomlin. Get him in the playoffs. Let's see what happens. But win a game in the playoffs. 
It is an important week for them because if they win, they actually are in the picture. They move from uh, the in the hunt category over into the actual in the seven. Um, but they don't, they're going to be hit hard because they have the bad tiebreaker with Cincy. But I think the tie actually helps them there because it eliminates the tiebreaker. So tie, that's why ties are so good. But I'm not going to get you all fired up about that. Uh, <laughs> I, I think the thing is here, there's like two factors in this game. One, the Vikings are second in sack rate. Uh, passing offense, passing offense is number two in the NFL by DVOA. Steelers pass defense is 26th, not good, but their pressure rate's good, obviously, with TJ Watt. Um, so can the Steelers get pressure on um, Cousins? He's going to be down Thielen probably. Uh, he's going to be missing Cook, but they usually do okay at the running game with Madison. They're not a real good team at running the football this year anyway. And can the Steelers run the football? Because the Vikings' run defense has been terrible. It's what killed them in the uh, Sunday night game against the Cowboys. That was on display. And obviously getting some issues last week with the Lions. Um, they win the loss of the Lions game. I'd like the Steelers here. Uh, I think this is a little bit of a bounce back. And it's it's, it's kind of a coin flip game. But I'll, I'll take the Vikings at home on the short week. Um, a little bit fresher legs, I think. I would actually lean towards Pitt. And the reason I'm going to lean toward it is because they are riddled with injuries again. They've got uh, four guys, uh, four starters listed out already. Uh, for that game and it just seems like when they're out you know when you think they're down for the count and they're beat up and you, you know you're kind of playing a handicapped team they play up and and I've never seen a team do that I think the Steelers are one of the weirdest teams uh, weirdest franchises uh, to be able to play like that I mean you lose your some of your best players and you play better um, it, again it's just mind boggles me the Vikings last 10 home games are three and seven against the spread. The, the Steelers are a little better on the road. They're, they're five and five in their last 10 uh, against the spread away. I, I just think if you can get it over that field goal line and I love the Steelers in a teaser, get them up to nine and a half or 10 um, and play that with a Sunday play. Uh, but I, I think I would actually stick a little piece of money uh, and stick my neck out for the Steelers plus three and a half. If you could find them plus four, that would be great. Yeah, but, but plus three and a half, about half the books online that I'm looking at now. So the over-under dipped to 43 and a half, too. I think that's basically an adjustment for a Thursday night game, especially after uh, playing on the Sunday. So, yeah, no, it's that they kind of do find a way to rally whenever you don't expect them to. That's kind of one of their characteristics. And then they're also very good for not showing up when you expect them to just roll. And that's why I go so much with uh, – the Tomlin thing sometimes it's just inconsistent. They're very inconsistent. And again, listen, I'm going to say it on the air. Mike Tomlin, great record. Very, you know, he's a good coach. There's no doubt. Am I hard on all my coaches? Yes, I am. I break down all, I want championships. I want to win. I don't like three and six and nine games in the playoffs. To me, I don't care about the regular season. You play the regular season to get seated in the playoffs or get seeds, you know, seated in a tournament, go far, do something. That's my point. But hey, great performance on Sunday, though. I'll, I'll give them credit. I didn't like the last drive by them that they went back about 35 yards and I could have went out there and quarterbacked and thrown a little uh, dumpers down and uh, they would have moved, moved the, down the field. But they won the game. And, you know, I, I had a great feeling. I played the money line. I played the Steelers in yeah. that game. I had a teaser with the Steelers. I had the money line with the Steelers. It's just like Jason said, there's times that you're like, they have no shot and they, you just have a feeling being a Steeler fan. Yeah, they do. And then against like, you know, a really bad team and 
you just know they're not going to play well. And that's how it is. That's being a Steeler fan. All right. We'll, uh, we'll wrap tonight's show up. We'll, we'll be back um, this week on Saturday. You know, we always record our, our Sunday games on Saturday. It just gives us a little better idea of who's playing, who's not in terms of injuries. Uh, you know, they like to hold that kind of till the 11th hour. Um, so we'll, we'll finish off the, uh, the Sunday card this weekend. If, uh, if you guys don't have anything, that's a wrap. No, great show. Great interview. Um, just awesome getting to have him on and get to meet him. He was, he was fantastic. So let's just keep, uh, working harder so you don't have to. Yep. Great guest. Good show. Mitty always says it. I'll end the show. Bang your bookies. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Notebook Wagering Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and be sure to follow at Notebook Wagering. Until next time.